Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Aspire listeners, I'm so excited because I have a fantastic educational leader and author, Carly Spina, one of my EduMatch friends, part of the family there, and um, someone that's a part of the Teach Better Network also. Um, she does a phenomenal job in a lot of different things. She's been an educator for 15 years in multilingual education, and she's serving um, in a district right now as the multilingual education specialist at the Illinois Resource Center. And I'm super excited to not only talk about what she's doing in education, but also about her fantastic book, which I'm holding up right now. She can see it, Moving Beyond for Multilingual Learners. And I can't wait to dive into a lot of different educational topics. Carly, thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I listened to so many episodes, so I'm really excited to be on. <laughs> oh, it's it's definitely due. I uh, As soon as I saw your book come out, I had to get it, bought it right away. And um, I think this is such a fun topic. I know it is something that you're extremely passionate about. And I don't know if I've actually dove into multilingual learners on my podcast. This is going to be super exciting. So before we get into your book and all of the many things that you're doing, will you just share with the listeners what you're doing within your role and, and how you're leading. Yes, yes. So I am I am like living my complete dream job right now. I work as a multilingual education specialist for the Illinois Resource Center. We are a nonprofit in Illinois, but we serve and support educators and leaders across the state and beyond in providing, you know, coaching, professional learning, workshops, any conversation basically under the sun of ways that we can serve and support our multilingual learners, their families, and like build and improve and enhance programming for English learners and bilingual programs and dual language programs across the state. So it is the coolest. I get to meet so many cool people and hear so many great stories and see the passion of educators and leaders everywhere. It's it's the best. It's the coolest job ever. <laughs> well, I was talking to you just a little bit about seeing you on Instagram and you were working with the district this morning. So what is it that you support within the multilingual education world? Earlier today, I was leading a session on oracy, um, so, you know, enhancing opportunities to get kids talking and using academic language and also acknowledging their social language. We've been providing a lot of different, like, just customized workshops based on what districts really need. A big one that I talk a lot about um, is for middle school and high school uh, educators, Um, serving students who have been identified as like there's this term it's kind of almost become a controversial term now in our field it's um, long-term English learners and basically that's a phrase that captures students who have been in a program for five or more years um, and haven't reached a level of proficiency as required by their state what we know about language development is it really does take not five years, but like more seven to 10 years to really develop those deeper levels of, of language proficiency. And so, you know, it's funny to like almost assign an additional label <laughs> onto yeah. students for that reason, because I feel like all of us are all long-term learners of something. <laughs> I'm a long-term English learner. Yeah, right. Um, yeah that's a big, a big topic that I, that I talk a lot about with teachers. 
No, that's fantastic. I think you bring up a, a great point because I think there are a lot of misconceptions with you know students that are coming from a different country and and trying to learn so many things at once. And I'm hoping that with our conversation today that we kind of work through some of those biases or misperceptions that have happened over the, the last you know few years. And I know there's a lot of work going on, and you're a part of that. So, what is some of the common vocabulary that's being changed within the multilingual education world? So it's so interesting that like I, when I first started in the field, I was hired as an English as a second language teacher. So we were calling it ESL, right? Assuming that students who came in, this was their second language, not their third, not their fifth. <laughs> it was just their second language. And then when students were brand new to their English journey, we labeled them like in the state of Illinois, we called students non-English proficient. So the very first word that we're using to describe students is non, like something that they don't have. Um, and then later they're like, okay, well, that sounds really bad. Let's now, let's now call those students limited English proficient. <laughs> um, and so again, we're like hung up on this deficit of, you know, what the student is beginning <laughs> in their journey. And now it's, it's really cool to start having conversations with districts and people really across the country and beyond because people are getting really mindful about the language choices that we're making about the students that we serve and support. Um, and so now in the state of Illinois, and I know many other districts or many other states are, are kind of following suit, is we, you, we use the term multilingual learner to describe our students. And it is a much more inclusive and holistic look at our students because multilingual is a celebratory term, right? It's not saying non this or limited that. It's saying, wow, you have multiple linguistic assets and that is a great thing. And we're not centering English, right? <laughs> we're we are embracing all the languages that you have. Even take the word English out of the out of the the phrase. So um, it's a beautiful shift. It's a small shift, but it has big impact. With that, I want to talk about just some other misperceptions. What are some things that when you're working with districts, you're starting to uncover with some of the traditional practices that have been going on within districts that you're trying to kind of change and, and help districts understand that, no, that's how it used to be, but this is the way it should be now. What are some of those misconceptions? So there's a lot. There's um, even when I when I first started in, in the field, I remember as an EL teacher, I was supposed to be like seen or not seen, not heard. I was supposed to almost like support in secret. Like you come in, you tiptoe into the classroom. You only work with these particular students in the back of the room. And that is it. And you're you're whispering and you're being discreet and you're not making a sound. And then you tiptoe away. And that's the students like English instruction time. <laughs> and it was it was really, you know, bizarre to look back at it like, wow, how did we function in that kind of a way where it was very isolated, very separate. And then I remember too, like having students just come out to my classroom for 30 minutes a week for some students. And that's it, 30 minutes a week. And again, it was very separate from core content. I had very little collaboration opportunities with my teammates, my content teachers, my grade level teachers. And so one of the big shifts I think is that that collaboration piece of like, if I'm in the room, I'm I'm here. <laughs> I'm in the room. You're going to hear me. You're going to see me. 
I'm going to be supporting, um, yes, these particular students in mind, but I'm here as an additional educator with skills and, you know, passions and gifts to share with everybody. And as I'm providing supports that are intentionally designed for multilingual uh, students, it's going to affect everybody and have a positive impact on everybody because all of the students are on a language journey. Some are just on a monolingual language journey. (laughs) So that's been, I think, a really positive shift. Um, And one that, again, took a long time for me to understand and and really do well. It takes a long time for a school or a team to start embracing those collaborative practices too. It it takes a lot of time and nurturing (laughs) of of that relationship and, and that practice. I know another topic that you're really passionate about is family engagement and and getting them connected with the school. And I can only imagine how hard that is for someone who is coming to another country. So what are some things that you, you know, like to elevate on a campus to get family engagement? Yes, yes. Family engagement is absolutely one of my biggest passions. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting, too, when when we have conversations about the families that we serve, we really want to be so mindful of the language that we use to describe the families we serve. I, I remember being in lots of meetings before where people will make comments of like, well, those families don't come or those family, like even using the word those, <laughs> and, you know, instead of saying the families, those families, like that word alone, like creates distance between us and them. And we're trying to like break down any anything that stands in the way of that connection. So one one thing again, yeah, checking our own language and checking our own biases is a big one. But I always say like the front office of a school building is like the handshake. It's the handshake of the school. And when a family walks in, it's so important that the environment feels welcoming and supportive. Um, We should have evidence of our school's languages on the walls. (laughs) We should have, you know, books in multiple languages right there in the front office. There should be welcome signs in multiple languages. Folks should be greeted with, you know, a warm affect and a smile. You know, we talk a lot about the affective filter of of students that we have, right? Like we all have that invisible wall around us. And when we're stressed or nervous or uncomfortable, the wall goes up (laughs) and, you know, no new input, no new learning can pass. Well, adults have that too. And if our families are coming into places and spaces where they don't feel welcome or they feel intimidated or they feel like they're going to do or say or even wear the wrong thing, we really need to be intentional about, you know, that that space that we're creating. And then you know, kind of going back to that comment of, of, you know, those families never come. I always want to push back and say, okay, well, how did you invite all of the families? Did you send one email and was it in English? <laughs> because if that is how you invite families to events or, you know, literacy nights or math nights or whatever it is, then we're disinviting right. a huge <laughs> population, right? We're disinviting anyone without Wi-Fi. We're disinviting anyone who doesn't check email regularly. We're disinviting anyone without literacy skills. We're disinviting anyone without English uh, literacy skills. Um, and so, you know, when we say things like, oh, they never come. No, it's we never invite them. <laughs> it's it's on us. So, um, yeah, the more we can kind of uh, look at our current practices and, and 
you know, kind of push ourselves like, wait, how are we really doing here? Are we really, you know, kind of walking the walk of what we say? <laughs> For sure. No, I think you make a great point, and I think it's important that we're intentional with, with all of those aspects. I love what you're saying about the front office. You know, I, I haven't really thought of it that way, even though I've got many, many students that are speaking so many different languages and are from all around the world. You know, it was fun. The, a couple of years ago, we, we had the whole world map on our wall, and we actually put pins in different places for where our students' families were from, and it was just completely covered with these pins. And I know it made a connection to our families and, and, you know, for open house nights and things, they would come and, and look at the map and they would be able to identify their student because with each pin, we have the student's name on there too. And, you know, it was something that our um, multilingual um, teacher was talking about and it was something that she was passing about. And, you know, it was, it was fun to see that connection and how proud they were that their not only student but country was represented. Oh, that's so empowering. That's a beautiful thing to do. It again, it's it's public. It's it's like a bragging moment, right? Like this is so great that we have this here in our school. I love that so much. I love that. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. I can't wait any longer. I got to talk about your book now. <laughs> I hope that's okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. So moving beyond, I want to know behind the scenes, right? So where did this concept come from? Obviously, multilingual learners is a passion of yours. It's it's your whole world. So why is it that you felt like you had to write this book? So I had to write this book because um, I needed something <laughs> for me that spoke to my heart and that pushed me Um and, and still continues to push me um, when, again, like I, I read so often. I read all the professional books out there. I get really excited. I'm a professional geek. Like that's <laughs> that's my thing. Um, but I felt like I never had a book that gave me, you know, kind of the practical pieces of like it's either all theory and like research or it's, I don't know, like a list of strategies. <laughs> and I wanted something that kind of painted the the picture of what today's multilingual educator is, because we don't just serve students, we serve the family. We are community liaisons, truly. We are instructional leaders for our teammates. And, you know, kind of having all of these different roles <laughs> tied to our work, it's it's exhausting. It's a very exhausting role. It's the best one in the school, I will say, but um, it is hard. And I feel like we need that, that um, I don't know, like that, that call to action of like, yes, we got this. We're going to push ourselves forward so that we can continue to push our students forward. Um, but also like, <laughs> like, Friend to friend, this is hard. <laughs> and I share a few, you know, moments in the book that of like my own kind of personal rock bottom moments um, that were really hard and difficult to write about. But I felt like I needed to share, you know, certain things because it's real. And as I talk to different educators, they kind of have the same experience of kind of burning the candle at both ends yep. and you know, having that almost that understanding of like, if I don't raise this question at this meeting, then no one else will. Or if I don't push, you know, this particular, um, 
leader or um, this board member, like no one else will, and it's going to keep going unchecked and who is fighting for our kids. And, um, you know, the advocacy piece is so big in what we do, but it's, um, it's very tiring. And if we don't, if we're not really intentional about um, setting boundaries and nurturing ourselves and, and finding a community that supports us, it's a really hard journey to walk alone. Yeah, I loved, you know, your transparency in your role and in your experiences and kudos to you for that. But I also, you know, loved some of the other pieces, you know, you had a reflection piece at the end with your actionable steps. You had some resources for folks with QR codes. You know, I loved all the extra at the end of each chapter too. Those were wonderful. But then also I want, if you don't mind diving into the book about just add visuals. <laughs> that yes. piece, right? I, I laugh because, you know, when I was in the classroom, I remember that. Um, I remember yes. that, you know, that the students that were in there are multilingual learners. You know, that was the strategy and, and I can't remember much more. So for our teachers that are listening, for our administrators, if that's the one and only tool in their toolbox, what are some other things that they can do in the classroom to help our multilingual learners? Yes, yes. There's so much more. And I, I always laugh at that because, again, like publishers are really big into that, right? Like just add visuals yep. and that's it. That's the blanket that's statement. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, there's a whole lot that we can do with students by um, inviting and incorporating heritage language into our spaces, into our instruction, into our assessment. And we don't have to be multilingual in order to do that. If we can, you know, there's so many different tech tools that we can use. We have the entire world in our cell phone all the time. <laughs> I always tell teachers like, and sometimes administrators are like, don't say that, but I always tell teachers like, teach with your cell phone in your pocket. You have that instant connection to, you know, multimedia that can help make content more comprehensible. You can have instant um, examples, videos, things like that um, to enhance meaning. Um, you have like all of these languages. And again, even if we're using Google Translate, um, we can, you know, it might not always be perfect, but the intent is so important. If we are creating multilingual word walls um, or if we're using word, phrase, sentence banks to help students kind of stretch their language usage, there are just, there's, the possibilities are endless if we just kind of take that little step outside the box and say, okay, what else? Beyond adding a visual, what else? Because if we're supporting students in reading, writing, listening, and speaking as they navigate, you know, science and social studies and math, like there are so many cool things that we can do to scaffold yeah. <laughs> that, again, are going to be good for all kids, not just multilingual learners. So I'm not, I'm going to be honest, I was super excited with the first chapter because it was beyond your title. And I was like, yes, because I started to think of a, a teacher working with our multilingual learners as potentially someone that was, you know, creating an impact on a campus. So how can someone in that role be a leader on a campus? So um, I always look to um, EL, bilingual dual language educators, as the instructional leaders. When we made that jump, when COVID was first hitting the world and we all went remote, right, everyone was kind of in a panic and we all said, well, what do we even do? Where do we even start? And the first thing we started with was how do we reach the families? And I tell you, every district went right to their EL teacher because the EL teacher 
is the expert in this. They have their cell phone numbers programmed into their phone, right? They are used to communicating outside the box. We're not just sending emails in English only, right? We are finding out our family's communication styles and preferences. Sometimes it might be easy for, for me to take a phone call during the day at work, but for other, you know, other families, other, you know, other times during the day, I cannot take a phone call. I can respond during like, like a quick break and I can send a text message. That's the way to get a hold of me best. So I always say that EL teachers are like the go-to for uh, family connection. Um, and they also, again, they're so connected to the community. What agencies, social service agencies, youth groups, even like food service organizations, we, I feel like, are so connected to the resources that are available because we, that's part of our role, right? We, we help families kind of navigate new neighborhoods and new communities. And so we have to know <laughs> all of the different um, tools and resources that are out there. So I would say to any, you know, EL, uh, bilingual dual language educator, like you are the instructional leader. You are so connected and in tune with the families and the community, but you're also the guru of instructional support, right? You are the guru of making content comprehensible across all the content areas. And that's huge. Um, so I would say like, always be present at the, at the team meetings that you attend, make sure that your voice is heard because if you are advocating and saying, Hey, why don't we try this? Why don't we try including some language objectives with this next unit? Why don't we try ensuring that, you know, students have an opportunity to read and write and listen and speak during each of our, our uh, lessons. Um, that's really empowering. Uh, it, it's equipping our colleagues and teammates with tools uh, to help improve their instruction so that students can achieve. So for our leaders that are listening right now, if it's an administrator, a board member, a district leader, whoever, you know, how can they support EL educators? So that's a great question. Um Okay, so first I would say just be in contact. Um, there were so many times I felt like, you know, I was a teacher and I would have the observation and, and my principal would come in and observe me. And sometimes he would say, well, I don't even know what you were saying because the lesson was in this language. Um, and so he'd say, I, you know, I'm picking up on this and this, but I think this is good. But it was almost like this, um, you know, abdication of like, well, you, you know, you know that you, I don't have that endorsement. You know that I'm just going to trust you. Like work, sit down with them and say, what do you want to improve in your practice? Because again, if we're nurturing that, that lifelong learning, all of us have goals, all of us have things that we can do just a little bit better each day. Um, you know, don't, don't be intimidated by the field. Um, really sit down with your educators, with your, you know, your teammates and say, you know, how can I help support you? What other professional, you know, learning would support you? And can I come with you? <laughs> there was um, a, a moment where I had a principal attend a workshop with me, and it was the first time, first and only time um, that I had that. And I thought it was so great that this person was also saying, I need to learn this too. <laughs> and it felt so good to have a thought partner. And I would also say, you know, as we as we talk about like decision making when, you know, there's a closed door <laughs> and there's a group of folks around the table making decisions about materials or programming or staffing or things like that. 
um, I would just really encourage them to consider the multilingual learner lens and don't have it be an afterthought, have it be at the forefront um, because our students suffer, our teachers suffer when, when we push our students off to the side and kind of have like an after slap effect of like, first we're going to design it for everybody else and then we're going to tweak it later for, you know, for your kids or for your program. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're done with that. Let's start with our students in mind first and then say, okay, how does this look for everybody else? Yeah, great point. We got to make sure the experts are at the table making those decisions yes. with us. Yeah, it needs to be collaborative. So I love that, Carly. So let's talk about for our aspiring leaders that are listening right now. So if there's one thing that they can do tomorrow or next week, what is something that you would advise them to do? So one thing I would advise them to do is have a conversation. Again, this could be with any student group or a teacher group that you serve. Um, sit down and have a conversation and say, how many languages do we have represented here in this space right now? And have a conversation and get folks talking about their language journeys. Um, I would say in every school, outside of every classroom, we should have a sign that says, wow, you know, here in room nine, we have 14 different languages. This is so great. We're going to celebrate it and line the hallways with how many languages you have and write them all out. I'll never forget. I had a really cool moment where I observed um, a dad walking out of a classroom. It was like a literacy night and the dad stops and he looks outside the room because he sees the sign and he's looking for his language. And he says, oh, good. You mentioned that we speak Lithuanian at home. And then I was like, oh, what a great moment. And then it got even better as he walked down the hallway and he saw a different sign on a different classroom door. And he said, who speaks Lithuanian in this classroom? And the child said, I don't know, dad. He goes, you need to find out because there's more of us. (laughs) And the dad felt so connected. So I will say to everybody, try that and, and have conversations and get people talking about language because the more we have that awareness and the understanding, it moves beyond just acknowledging. Then we can do some really cool things with incorporating and elevating uh, the languages that we have in our communities. I love that so much. That's awesome. Actually, we didn't talk about this. I'm going to bring this up. So, Carly, are you coming to Teach Better 22? I am. I am. And I'm so excited. <laughs> awesome. I was hoping you're going to say yes. It's going to be so much fun. Yes, I am so looking forward to it. Teach Better 19 was Still, to this day, my favorite, favorite professional learning experience I've ever had. (laughs) I I agree. It was phenomenal. I was hoping you were going to say yes. I'm going to be recording there on Podcast Row, so you got to come down and visit all the podcasters. Oh, yes, I definitely will. (laughs) So that'll be awesome. And then as far as connecting with you on social media, I would love for my listeners to do that. So how can they connect with you in all of those different applications? So um, I'm most active on Twitter. You can find me at Mrs. Spina's class. I am also on Facebook, just Carly Spina. Please just friend me. (laughs) Um, I love having uh, different folks that I'm connected to because, you know, it's great to learn from other people. Um, And then you can also find me on LinkedIn. I have an Instagram, but it's really, I use that platform as mostly like puppies and bright colors (laughs) and things like that. 
So Twitter is probably the way to go. If you like puppies, <laughs> then that's that's the place for you. But as far as all the other educational topics, um, definitely connect with Carly. We're going to have not only her social media uh, applications on there, we're going to have the book too. So make sure that you're um, buying that on Amazon. Uh, it's phenomenal. I've I've got it literally sitting in front of me. I, I think the world of you, Carly. You're, you're doing so many amazing things. I'm so glad that you're working with districts and, and helping those with uh, multilingual learners. I can't wait to see you at Teach Better 22. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I really appreciate you. Thank you.